Yeah, what is it with you and Tony? What, what are you, like a sidekick now? Yeah, that's right. I like it. Such a cool guy. Cool guy? What are you, in eighth grade? He's the first cool guy I've ever been friends with in my whole life. You know, it's a different world when you're with a cool guy. He's not afraid of anybody. You hear the way he talks to waitresses. He gets free pie. <laughs> What's going on, Cowboys Nation? Welcome to a special edition of The Writer's Block. I am a co-host of that podcast, Brandon Laurie. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @brandonisright, and that's W-R-I-T-E. Uh, Jess Navarez is usually my co-host for The Writer's Block, but we kind of threw together almost like a cross-podcast uh, episode for this week. So I have a very special guest. It, you know him on the First and Ten podcast as one of the co-hosts. It's a Mr. Tony Catalina. Tony, what's going on? I know it's been a minute since we've talked, but uh, it's good. It's always good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad we could do this and kind of put the two podcasts together for a night. And you know what? It's November 3rd, so Halloween is behind us. And now the ultimate debate of whether or not Christmas decorations should be put up now or in a few weeks. Um, I don't know mm. if that's something uh, you're going through right now. I know I am on my end. I'm a guy who likes to throw them up early. Um, the missus is a little unhappy with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, honestly, I'm the same way. So I, I pay for Sirius XM and uh, I was listening to the NFL channel and uh i heard the commercial the commercials for the christmas music and i was like i do i do it do i put them on do i start it and so i mean i'm having an internal struggle more than anything right now yeah absolutely and you know what the cowboys are on their bye week right and as content creators and writers that cover the cowboys unfortunately there's no real time off for us except for sunday so do you have any plans yet for sunday with your uh, day off or are you still gonna be sitting in front of the couch watching some football you know what? I actually talked to my wife and I said, I think this is going to be a relatively easy week. So like we got some plans. It's going to be beautiful here in Massachusetts this weekend. So I think I think we're going to do something Saturday. But honestly, I'm, I'm going to have some uh, some chill, uh, you know, stress free viewing of football on Sunday and still kind of lock in and watch seven hours of commercial free football. So <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, Make plans already with the misses. And um, unfortunately, for me, I cover uh, Rutgers football um, on the weekends as a beat reporter, and they're playing Michigan at home. So that'll be fun. Uh, a little uneventful, but, you know, it's still a game nonetheless. But let's talk about Cowboys, right? Bye week, assessing where they are halfway through the season. And we're going to talk about maturation. We think that, you know, when it comes to things maturing, sometimes things get better with age. You have fine wine. That usually gets better with age. Cured meats and good cheese usually gets better with age. For some reason, Paul Rudd gets better with age. <laughs> However, as journalists, and you might know this very well, uh, headlines sometimes do not age very well. We could report on something in May, and it's completely blown out of proportion, if not false, uh, come December. Yeah, I've had some takes that have uh, aged like some milk, so I could tell you that. Um, it's it's rough business, but when you put your name behind it, you got to stand on it, even if it's a couple months later, and you got to come through with your, with your tail between your legs. <laughs> exactly. And this exercise, you know, the writers that we're going to be talking about, it's all blogging the boys' articles that have been written, uh, dating all the way back till May. Um, and we're not <laughs> calling out these people to, to throw them under the bus, telling them they got it right or wrong. This is just to give you also an idea of the other writers that we have at the Blog and the Boys Network and the, some of the work that we do here. And also just to assess at the halfway point. So we're going to start 
with something back at May 30th. And this is actually a very uh, topical topic given the trade deadline and what didn't happen. Um, but Matt Holleran for Blogging the Boys wrote on May 30th as the headline, Jalen Tolbert is named as the Cowboys' most exciting offseason addition. Tony, I will start with you. Jalen Tolbert, mm. exciting or not exciting? It's been everything but exciting. It's been uh, disappointing, to say the least. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us, myself included, were really excited about the thought of Jalen Tolbert growing and being the third wide receiver. And um, now it's like, you know, we're on the brink of, you know, James Washington being active at some point, and we don't even know if Tolbert's going to even have a spot on the 50, not the 53, but, you know, he won't be active on game day. So that that's a tough situation. And, you know, that comes with some of it, the, the, emer the emergence of, Noah Brown, but yeah, I, for Jalen Tolbert to not be a consistent game day active is is pretty tough, and um, I think we're all kind of eating crow on that one because I felt like he could have been that for this team. Uh, the minute I heard that Dak was calling him after he was drafted, saying like "Let's go, let's get ready," he was talking to him pre-draft and stuff. I mean, I was pumped to see this guy in South Alabama, a uh, small school, and you figured at least my hope was, oh, this is another Cooper Cup. You know, we can get our hands on a Cooper Cup, some guy who's coming out of nowhere, not a lot of people are talking about, and. Pre-draft, a lot of people were talking about this guy as maybe a second-round pick. The Cowboys get him in the third round. We think it's an absolute steal. And like you said, unfortunately, it hasn't turned out that way. Training camp was pretty good in Oxnard. But then we start hearing that it seems like there's a growth period that where he's kind of hit that rookie wall very early on. And unfortunately, he just hasn't gotten onto the field. And when he has, like on Sunday, you know, there's a pass thrown at his feet, you know, to prevent intentional grounding. That's sort of like a the season in the nutshell for Jalen Tolbert. And what I was kind of alluding to before is that the Cowboys did not trade for anybody uh, at the trade deadline. There were talks about Brandon Cooks possibly being in play. But for me, I look at this as the fact that they didn't trade for somebody that could open up the opportunity down the rest of the season for Jalen Tolbert to be active. You know, like you mentioned, James Washington is going to be making his way back at some point. But Jalen Tolbert was active on Sunday because of Noah Brown's injury, and we don't know how long that will last after the bye week. So I'll ask you, Tony, do you think that the fact that they didn't trade for somebody bodes well for Jalen Tolbert in his development, or you think it's going to be still like an inactive, uninactive, you know, basis uh, week to week? I think, you know, I, I, the team isn't ready to bury him just yet. And I think that we all should, you know, have a little bit more grace and, and, and calmness when it comes to his situation. Um, it is disappointing that he hasn't really had any factor into this season. But, I, you know, a third round pick, like you said, from a smaller school, you, you would hope that you can get something. But that's kind of the expectation sometimes when you when you draft those guys. Uh I don't think, you know, honestly, I mean, if you believe everything that came out and there are a lot of prominent people saying that the Cowboys were deep in the conversations with the Houston Texans for Brandon Cooks, uh, I think the Cowboys think that they're one piece away or maybe that Brandon Cooks piece could have really put them over the top. So I don't know if that bodes overly well for the confidence of Jalen Tolbert. But even so, I think look at the way we look at Simi Fajoko, too. He's in year two. You're hoping that the progression for both of them as he goes into his third and Tolbert goes into the second that the Cowboys Cowboys will get more but um, you know they, they got some talent they have some guys that they're hoping can progress but you know we'll have to wait and see how that goes yeah definitely agree and I think well, I, I can't wait till and I know Stephen Jones talked about it today but when Jerry gets on the radio uh, in his next radio appearance on 105.3 where he says James Washington and the development of Jalen Tolbert are our trades you know uh, the typical we love our guys type conversation right the next headline May 29th RJ Ochoa 
wrote this, our fearless leader, uh, one of the fearless leaders at Blogging the Boys. And it, this one was more of a chalk type headline. So, you know, maybe he could take a little bit of credit for getting this right. But he said that the five most stable parts of the Dallas Cowboys are entering 2022. And he listed them off as Dak Prescott, Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs, Zach Martin, and Demarcus Lawrence. Any of those names stand out or you figure that he pretty much got it right across the board? Yeah, I think RJ hit that one on the head there. Um, you know, I think we really saw the value of Dak Prescott while he wasn't playing. You know, uh, Cooper Rush was fine keeping everything on, the, you know, keep the train on the track. But when you come out here, you don't have Noah Brown. You don't have Ezekiel Elliott. Dalton Schultz is banged up and you still hang 49 on a Chicago Bears team that, you know, by all by all indications have been playing well. They came off of beating the Patriots in the surprising Monday night showing. So um, I think you, you see the value of Dak Prescott and what this offense can look like when they're kind of at high octane, but yeah, kind of touching on him more so than any others. I mean, we know what Demarcus Lawrence brings his effort and some of these guys that he mentioned. um, I think RJ, our guy, he got that one right on the, right on the head. Yeah. And it's crazy for me and you could agree or disagree that the people who are on this list that are sort of like second fiddle are like a Trayvon Diggs and a Zach Martin. And that could be because they're not flashy players. They're not flashing. Like Trayvon Diggs had the league leading 11 interceptions last season. And this season hasn't turned out that way, but I feel like he's developed into a better cornerback overall. And Zach Martin continues to be Zach Martin. I heard on DallasCowboys.com, Patrick Walker was talking about how, you know, the platinum standard sometimes turns into copper because it's just, we, the expectation is perfect all the time. So if he's meeting that expectation, well, you know, he's not really in the conversation for being an elite player still, or in a top 10 ranking. So I don't know if you think Zach Martin, Trayvon Diggs are the lesser of the five, but also still just as impactful. Yeah, I think with Zach Martin, you come to expect a certain standard. So in, in him being an offensive lineman, when he's not getting talked about, I guess it is a good thing, right? Because he's steady Eddie, he's doing his job. And I think you alluded to the fact, and I'll kind of elaborate more on it, uh, Trayvon Diggs' numbers may not be as good as last year, but his technique, his 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 you know, his overall play, I think, has improved. I think everyone would agree that he's just a more complete, well-rounded cornerback this year. And his numbers aren't that good because I think teams, for the in large part, are staying away from him. So I think Trayvon Diggs' impact has been much bigger, even though the interceptions hasn't been there. And even with his three interceptions, he's still, like, top three, top two in the league right now as it stands. He's just not doing at the gaudy pace he did last year. And here's one. We'll get into the next headline that might not have matured as well. We're kind of reaching that point. August 24th, David Howman said, the Cowboys defense will regress, but not much. And here's his explanation. We can't dog him for it. Again, you have to create content in the dog days of summer before the season starts. He said, you know, in quotes, so why would a great defense um, with so much continuity take a step back? Well, the simplest answer is because that's what defenses do. And he stated that the Cowboys were playing quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford, Kirk Cousins, and the potential development of the year two guys in Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Davis Mills. I think we can agree that this defense has exceeded expectations, maybe not in the turnover department, but just as an overall elite defense in that conversation as possibly the best defense in the NFL. Yeah, I think it's um I think we're all kind of and I was in that boat too with Howman. I think if you're just playing the odds, the the overwhelming, you know, sen- sentiment was that this defense was going to take a, a step back because how well they played last year it just didn't seem possible that they can kind of stack that together. Mind you, in 2020, they were viewed as one of the worst football uh, defensive teams in the history of football, and now you look at 2022 and it's they got 33 sacks and the team is just flying around and they're just ultra deep. I mean, we're cutting guys like Tristan 
Hill, who will get picked up by Arizona Cardinals, is probably going to insert and have a lot of snaps for that organization. So this defense is super stacked in talent. Um, yeah, it, they didn't regress at all. I think we we're all wrong on that one, um, and it's super exciting to see. I think the part that I'm most wrong in is I wasn't trusting the depth that this defense has had because we've seen in previous years that this depth when the starters are out is not that good. Developing guys hasn't really been at the forefront for the defense. Now on the offensive side, you know, you have offensive linemen continuing to develop someone like a Terrence Steele, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit. But the defensive side, though, the backup guys, someone like an Izzy McQuamu, you know, I, I thought that there would be flashes coming into the preseason, but I didn't expect him to take a bigger leap like he has this season. You know, he stepped in on Sunday when J. Ron Kirst went out and with Malik Hooker out, and he's playing really well, not being a liability. And you have somebody also, too, like a Damone Clark who's coming back and coming back from spinal fusion surgery, which is unbelievable, an unbelievable story. And he's playing meaningful snaps when Anthony Barr comes out. I call this defense almost like a serpent. You know, uh, defense, you cut one head off and two more grow in its place. And that's what it's been. Even Sam Williams being out, Dante Fowler steps up. So I think the overall depth of this team has vastly improved compared to previous seasons. Without a doubt. And if you look at it with Dan Quinn, I mean, we're in year two of his draft classes. Now he's just putting together pieces and guys that he really loves working with. And you can see the recipe. I mean, we're talking about tall, athletic, fast these guys are just flying around the football. They're making plays and they're bought into a system that, you know, in year two, you're able to kind of open it up and get a little more dynamic with the, with the play calling and you have the trust and the understanding and the belief of this defensive unit. So I think as the season progresses and they kind of get deeper into their bag, so to speak, that this defense has a chance as long as they stay healthy to really continue to progress and be a dominant unit. We have a couple fortune tellers, it seems like, on the BTB writing staff. Brandon Clements, a doppelganger of mine, sharing namesake. He said on May 28th that Noah Brown is a Swiss Army knife and a lock to make the 2022 Cowboys roster. Uh, I think going into training camp, a lot of people were writing Noah Brown off with the drafting of Jalen Tolbert, the signing of a James Washington. But then pieces start to fall in play. People get injured and someone like a Noah Brown steps up, especially with Michael Gallup coming off and recovering from ACL surgery. So Noah Brown in his development in 2022 is definitely a storyline. And I don't think anything that I saw coming specifically. Yeah, I mean, I knew, and at least in my mind, I was pretty confident that Noah Brown was going to carve out a niche or a role on this team because of his special teams ability and just the tenacity he brings. But I never in my wildest dreams thought he would step up as a ball catcher, as a wide receiver, running routes and making plays and, and kind of solidifying that number three wide receiver role as much as he did. Um, that's the the biggest part about this. I mean, he's in year six. You know, it just he took a leap. And, and I think they just trusted the process with him. And he's kind of what you look at as somebody that you could have hope for a Simi Fajoko and a Jalen Tolbert and say, hey, you know, it may not come year one. It may not even be year two, but you got a guy here in a program that can develop these guys. And, and honestly, it's one of those situations where where would the Cowboys be without a Noah Brown, right? I mean, now last week he didn't play. He was injured against the bears. Only Michael Gallup and CD lamb caught a pass and no other wide receiver did. If Noah Brown's out there, he's a legitimate target that Dak Prescott trusts. 
And also the development of chemistry with someone like a Cooper Rush over these years. You know, when Dak goes down, Cooper Rush is looking for something to kind of hang his hat on. And he's worked with Noah Brown ever since they came in the league together. So looking at that, I think Cooper Rush has had a, an extreme impact on Noah Brown's development. And he is sort of taking this sort of Cedric Wilson type jump this season. And I don't know if he'll get the certain money because Cedric Wilson is a little bit more explosive. But Noah Brown is that big body receiver that some rosters struggle to find like you have the Green Bay Packers right now struggling at wide receiver I think Noah Brown would vastly improve their wide receiver room because of his experience and the type of wide receiver that he has he has that sort of James Jones type personality um, do you think that Noah Brown after the season and looking for the rest of the season you think we'll have that Cedric Wilson type leap or you think that maybe he'll kind of sit at around maybe like 500 yards or so um, and kind of maybe re-sign with Dallas on a one-year deal, maybe two-year deal? You know, I think I think you said it at the second part. I think Noah Brown understands the development, and he is like a textbook who the Cowboys signed to a short little, you know, like you said, one- or two-year deal kind of. You say, like, look at the development. Look what we can do for you. We can continue this progress. And he's one of those guys where if you don't hit on a Tolbert, if you don't hit on a Fajoko or maybe a top 100 pick in the next year's draft, you know that you got somebody out there that can make plays and you feel good about CD lamb and michael gallup and him out there so I, I could see i mean you know if i'm always a proponent i'm a player guy if he can go out there and get some money and find you know some more stability you know say anywhere else i i i all all that you know and good job and do that for him but i i could see the cowboys trying to find a way to lock him up fifth headline here and tell me if this sounds familiar to you june 30th three players from the usfl the Cowboys should evaluate. Does that sound familiar to you? A little bit. I think <laughs> I might have an understanding there. <laughs> this is an article by Tony himself, and he was quoted stating in this article, before anybody else, before anybody maybe in the NFL outside of the Cowboys knew, he stated that Cavante Turpin was somebody that everybody should keep an eye out for. He said that at 5'9", 155 pounds, Turpin is on the smaller side, but in today's NFL, his shifty, quick playability with the ball in his hand is the type of home run threat that the league is always looking for. Tony, the flowers are are thrown in your favor, <laughs> all to you. Uh, you saw this before anyone else. Talk about Cavante Turpin and what he's meant to the Cowboys roster this season. It's funny because I was trying to be unconventional. Like you said, you mentioned it, the dog days of the summer of trying to find content. I was honestly just scouring through USFL film, looking at some of the best players in the league. And when I popped on some Gavante Turpin film, I was blown away. I mean, the, what he was doing on the football field and the things and the plays he was making, I'm like, this kid is absolutely going to end up on an NFL roster. And I would love for it to be the Cowboys. So when I saw that that actually happened and was a possibility, Ability, I was absolutely ecstatic. So, I mean, we're seeing it now. He has been a shoestring tackle. He has been, you know, a Kelvin Joseph bumping in him away from two, maybe three touchdown runs on punt return kickoffs. Like, he is a spark plug. He's fit in perfectly to this football team. And, you know, I mentioned a couple of guys, and I think a couple of them got signed, but Cavante Turpin by far has been the best UFL signing in this NFL season. Yeah, and I think the crazy part is when, when we were hearing Cavante kind of coming on the roster, we were hearing that the Cowboys were the only ones that really had any genuine interest in him. And I'm sure all 31 teams across the league wish, and they're probably kicking themselves, like, why didn't we sign this guy? Why was he out there for this long? And, and goes to a Cowboys team that I would say that there are 
moments in the in the first half of the season where Cavante Turpin has had a direct impact on certain wins. And I think that we haven't even seen the best of him. I think the second half of the season, once you get into these cold weather games and the Cowboys aren't playing a lot of them, they've gotten lucky with their December schedule. But you look at something like going to Jacksonville or playing at Tennessee those outdoor games in December, especially Tennessee, it could be a little cold. Um, the kick return game and the punt return game could be vital roles in determining whether or not the Cowboys win a game. Even playing against a legitimate contender uh, for the Super Bowl and the Eagles again coming to Dallas on Christmas Eve, that could be such an explosive play, especially at home, that could switch momentum in the game just like that. And we saw him do it against the Eagles earlier in the season. Absolutely. Like he, like you said, he got that thing kicked off and sparked when he got to midfield on that return. But you're absolutely right about the sense that there's going to be a point in time where he's going to shift momentum and he's going to do something big. And it's so close and it's right there. Every time he touches the football, I kind of watch his mannerisms and how he handles it. He knows too. Like when he's slamming the football into the ground and he understands that he was one block, one cut back away. Like this guy is thinking pay dirt every single time he touches the football. And it's just, he's in rarefied air. He's somebody that is just, you don't see it across the league. And I don't think this is a bold take, but maybe it's a bold take. I think Cavante Turpin, if he stays on the path he is, I think he could be in, you know, Las Vegas for a Pro Bowl at the end of the season. Oh, I absolutely agree 100%. And, you know, usually when a player claps their hands at the end of a play, you know that they messed up mentally, something went wrong. But when Cavante Turpin is jumping up and down, doing backflips and stuff at the end of the game, you know he's just excited because he knows that he was one tackle away from scoring a touchdown. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's just fun to watch, and and you could even see when he did that backflip in the when they did the Landry uh, Landry shift there. Um, the Dak Prescott and the boys they love him. Oh, he's yeah. part of this team, and he's and he's honestly been a great addition. The next headline is from Tom Ryle, an older elder statesman. Uh, I will I'll say more mature. Tom Ryle is another one that matures well <laughs> with age. Uh, the headline that he said on June 26th was. Dallas Cowboys have multiple depth issues entering training camp. So this is pre-training camp. And he named off a few uh, areas of need. He said specifically at backup running back behind Tony Pollard. So not Pollard specifically, but the guys behind him. Uh, backup offensive tackle, tight end, and kicker. Uh, I don't know which one you want to start with first, but I think kind of the glaring need right now after the trade deadline passing is sort of backup offensive tackle. Tyron Smith goes down in training camp, and then a few guys get injured along the way. So is that an area of need that the Cowboys need to address in the offseason, or is it something that might hurt them um, further down the line as we get through the rest of the stretch? Yeah, the, the Cowboys are playing a dangerous game with the offensive line. I think they're banking on the fact that their late season addition is going to be Tyron Smith, who, you know, by all indications, while we're recording this, they talked about the fact that he's probably three to four weeks away from his 21 day window being open. So that's a six to seven week timeline, which would put us around Christmas time. But that's kind of what they're banking on. But until then, we're talking about six to seven football games from that point um they're playing super thin offensive tackle i think everyone's known since it was josh ball matt well let's go you know Jason Peters, it just it's not comfortable there. Matt Farniak is hurt. You know, there's guys that are um, situations that if they're super thin, if somebody goes down, we're in a, a dicey situation of how it's going to be handled. So I think Tom hit it on the head with that one. The one that I don't think he got right, and I think we all would agree with this, is the depth of that running back position. I think it's top to bottom. I mean, we had five guys that should be or you know, could be playing well. I mean, look at Malik Davis with his opportunity and he wouldn't have you've got his opportunity if Rico Dow was healthy because he beat, beat him out outright. And then Aaron Shamklin was the fifth running back and he was making moves in the preseason. So I think running back is pretty solid one through four right now. 
Yeah, definitely. And Malik Davis, I thought that they were going to give him his first NFL touchdown, but instead Dak Prescott selfishly took it upon himself to get a rushing <laughs> touchdown. I mean, but listen, they won the game regardless. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'll address the tight end situation. I think coming into the season, everybody was concerned with what is this tight end depth looking like? You know, you had somebody like a Jeremy Sprinkle who was with the team last year, a Sean McEwen, but, you know, they get these young guys and Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot, and you're like, well, these guys are unproven. Sean McEwen hasn't really taken a huge step forward in the passing game outside of run blocking, and Jeremy Sprinkle is on and off again, but again, more of a run blocking guy. And I think that this area of concern is just completely thrown out the window. I think a lot of people now are saying that regardless of what happens in the offseason with Dalton Schultz, we're looking at Ferguson and Hendershot as the future. And what I think you are quoting is stating that this is what uh, the Cowboys were envisioning Schultz and Jarwin to be. Yeah, I think this tight end position is probably one of the the most comfortable positions I have. I mean, I'm a Schultz guy. I understand that, you know, he's probably not going to be here. He's probably going to get his money. But that's okay because, like you said, Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot, they look like the future of this team. They're going to probably have to add a third guy if it's not Sean McCune or whatever the case may be. But I think moving forward, the Hendershot, Jake Ferguson dynamic duo there, I think they really have something special. I mean, and they both kind of both bring a different element. I think they're both really sturdy and, and tough blockers. Um, Hendershot's a little bit more, you know, athletic, sleet foot, but Jake Ferguson's a sure, you know, catcher of the football. I, the Cowboys hit hit a home run with that with the third round pick and the undrafted guy. So I feel really good about the tight end future. I think Hendershaw was a surprise to make the roster out of training camp. Like people were thinking, oh, well, you can't keep four tight ends. That's that's crazy. Right. But clearly they knew something that we didn't. And I think for me, like I always enjoyed watching Jason Witten play. And that's because he, he was always the guy. He was a leader on the team. 
But when I see guys like a Travis Kelsey, a George Kittle, you know, even Dallas Goddard for, you know, whatever he does for the Eagles, you know, I watch these guys and they make the tight end position fun, even like a Darren Waller too. And I'm like, man, I wish the Cowboys had that. And they did sort of have that in Schultz and Jarwin, but then Jarwin gets hurt, a hip injury that he hasn't signed with the team, possibly ending his career. And Schultz is an uncertainty of when he'll be back. So I'm like, man, like this is unfortunate. Like we just found somebody and now he's going to be walking out the door. I genuinely enjoy every single time I see Ferguson and Hendershot in the game. And like you mentioned, the run blocking, I think, is is very undervalued. And Ferguson was playing at Wisconsin, so he knows how to run block. But Peyton Hendershot, kind of unexpected. The two of those guys led the way for Tony Pollard the other day uh, for a lot of his big runs. So I think that's an underappreciated factor of their game. And I, I think I'm excited to see where they develop moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, the, the run blocking is kind of what separates a lot of tight ends from, like, good to great right if you're able to be the well-rounded tight end you gotta be able to block be able to catch and be athletic these guys have that i mean they have the ability to to be multiple and in the passing game and but then they open up holes and that's what the cowboys have always needed i think dalton schultz if you're going to knock anything that he does is he's not the most willing blocker right it's not all you know it's it's tough it's tough to go out there and go nose to nose with linebackers and the defensive end sometimes and and kind of pick up those blocks but you can kind of see and i love the sideline videos access the Cowboys give us Ferguson and Hendershot have this like crazy like almost twisted sense of like we're going out there to play football let's kind of be crazy and and they kind of show that on the field with their tenacity and the way they're able to block and you know it's really exciting and really fun to watch because their development is really only just beginning Dalton Schultz hasn't become angry you know that these two young guys are coming in kind of taking a little bit more of a vital role when he's injured he he understands that it's a business I think also too that when he had someone like Jason Witten mentor him he wants to be a mentor for these guys and he understands that the success of the room as the tight end position means that there's going to be success on the field so I think he understands that not only is he here to play but he's also going to be a mentor and I think that that's sort of rubbing off on these guys as well too in their development absolutely and I think you know like you said you hit the nail on the head he's a good teammate I think the the chemistry in that locker room is really good. But, you know, on a side note, I think Schultz feels real good because he's sitting there making $10 million this year. So regardless, you know, he's covered on the back end no matter what. Absolutely. I wish I had $10 million. I I would find a way to do a lot with that. Uh, And the last one that Tom mentioned, and and I think this is the biggest one of of what he was talking about, is kicker. And he he said in his article, no matter – and mind you, this is June 26th. So he said no matter if they wind up keeping Jonathan Garibay or finding someone else, this should be in better shape than it was last year. Punter and long snapper are set. He got the the overall quote right. It's like ad-libs. You have to replace a few names, a few nouns in there. Jonathan Garibay, of course, didn't make it out of training camp, but uh, Brett Money Maher, as Justin and I like to call him, uh, comes in and is, I saw today that he's missed one extra point two field goals, which is the same amount as Justin Tucker, future Hall of Famer, uh, has missed this season. So I guess we could put Tucker and Maher on the same level right now. I, I see no difference, right? It's like the <laughs> Spider-Man meme. Exactly. <laughs> but no, honestly, um, and just, you know, for full clarity, like you said, the, the extra point he missed was blocked. So it's kind of like he didn't miss it. He just got, you know, good play by the by the special teams unit. But yeah, the, the money Maher thing is if we're being real about it, they lucked into that situation. He was their third option, but sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good. And that's where they're at now. I mean, my man has been money inside of 59 yards. The the extra points have been struck. Well, they've been right down the middle. He just instilled confidence in, in a position in a unit that we were all rightfully really nervous about going into the season. 
Well, and you and, and Dave Sturgio, uh, a fellow co-host of the First and Ten podcast, you guys were at the Giants game where McCarthy, like before halftime, was like, ah, just just take a shot. Like that field goal, like I, I looked at it at the time as, you know what, doesn't matter. It was just almost as equivalent as a Hail Mary pass, but that's what he brings. You know, he brings this big leg that neither of the guys coming into training camp had, and we knew coming to this because of Maher being on the team in the past. Like we knew he has a big leg. That's the whole reason why he beat out uh, Dan Bailey as well too. And I think the other thing that's under uh, underrated is his touchbacks. You know, I think that he's only allowed one kick return the whole season, um, something like that, if if any. And I think that that's something that goes undervalued because that's you know you're creating a sturdy field position. You're lessening injuries um, on your special team side. So I think that that is also something that's sort of underappreciated as well. Without a doubt, he that is something to me. Obviously, the kicking because it involves points. You know, kicking field goals is more important. But the like you said, to be able to boom the ball in the back of the end zone, let some of these playmakers not even get a chance. And I think I really had like two attempts at all season, two or three at most. And and you're totally right. It's keeping the special teams unit fresh. He's doing his job on both sides of that. And I talked about Kevante Turpin, you know, being a pro bowler, but I, I think Brent Maher might be the NFC representative when it's all said and done in the pro bowl game as well. Yeah. And the beauty, the beautiful part about being a Cowboys uh, player is that you have Cowboys nation behind you when it comes to pro bowl voting. Uh, you know, in this next question, this specific player didn't make it, uh, but was very, very close. And I'm talking about uh, Mr. Tyler Biotish. And Aiden Davis, another co-host of yours, uh, wrote on June 20th, he said, this upcoming season will be a telling year for Tyler Biotish. And I think that's another guy, and we could touch upon Terrence Steele as well. Uh, these are two guys that coming into the season, like not a lot of people had good feelings about. You let go of Lyle Collins, and you're stuck with these two young, unproven guys. And, you know, coming into the season after Tyron Smith gets hurt, you're like, the only guy that's proven on this roster is a Zach Martin. You know, so how is that going to develop in, in the offensive line room? And I think flash forward now to the bye week, you're looking at Tyler Biotis as one of the best centers in football. I look at his grade right now from last week, in, according to PFF, and if people don't like that PFF stuff, you know, it doesn't matter. He was graded as 89.5 for the Bears game, second best on the team behind Dak Prescott. And as of right now, he has played 498 snaps, allowing just one one sack, two penalties, three pressures, and five hurries. That's really, really good. Um, and that's like Travis Frederick type numbers. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I ain't going to lie. I mean, I under, I wasn't a Tyler Biotis, you know, detractor. I think he is quality. I thought he was solid at best, you know what I mean? Or solid, you know, that was his realm. He's exceeded my expectations. He's been a steady force in the middle there. I think that he's built the trust. Like you said, the numbers are in there. Like if, if you put value in the in the pro football focus grading, um, he is right there as one of the top centers in the league. And I honestly didn't see that happening. I knew that he'd be okay. I thought he'd be a middle of pack center, which I thought would be enough. He succeeded. He's been better than that. And that's something that the Cowboys have really lucky to be able to hit on that and see his development. Cause I don't know if many people thought that was going to be the case. I think also you look at, a lot of people were kind of concerned with the lack of competition at the center position or proven competition. You're not bringing in a veteran to compete with them. Connor McGovern has taken snaps in the past very sparsely um, to just be prepared in case something happened. But you look at someone like a Matt Farniak, he was a guy that was supposed to be the backup and Tyler Biotish almost seemingly had the, the job out of training camp. And, 
the Cowboys decided to let Connor Williams walk. He goes to Miami, um, plays center, and is playing at a very high level right now. And I know in the early part of the season, everyone's looking at Connor Williams like, man, this could have been our center. This could have been our guy. Um, but I think Tyler Biotish has taken that step forward and proven that the coaches were right. This is a guy that Mike McCarthy traded up for in the draft. Um, and these Wisconsin centers, we've had good experience with them. Right now, I would say we're on the border of two for two. Um, but what what do you think the long-term expectations are for Tyler Biotish? I believe he's in his contract year, if not one more year left on the contract. But what do you think about his long-term development and if the team's going to sign him long-term? I think this has to elevate the expectations. I thought this, you know, this year he was going to solidify himself as like a solid NFL starter, somebody that's probably not going to be a pro bowler, somebody who is just going to be steady. You know, he's never going to really break the bank, but, you know, he may never lose his job and he may have an eight to nine year you know, career. Now that the expectation is, I think he can be, you know, a top tier, one of the top 10 centers in the league, somebody that is viewed in that light. And, um, and that's really a testament to his work ethic and what he's developed and kind of worked with, you know, coach Philbin at the, in the offensive line room. Cause I think a lot of people undersold him. I think a lot of people are ready to make uh, an upgrade. I was one of the people that said, well, let's see what happens here. You know, I'm not completely sold, but Tyler Biotish, the expectations, I think, in Cowboys Nation has to change a little bit moving forward. Before moving on to the last question, talk about Terrence Steele. Um, that's another guy like the equation, what we were talking about, of these unproven guys. Now looking at it, you know, going into the bye week, do you think that it was the right move to keep him over Lyle Collins? And what do you think it's going to be like for him for the rest of the season? For Terrence Steele and I think this offensive line as a whole, it hasn't been perfect, right? I think there's been there's been some things that they've worked through some stuff, and I think ultimately it's been it's been a solid year. I think Terrence Steele is that he is a gamer. He is somebody that we saw many times in clips in Oxnard in practice, where you know obviously when you go against Michael Parsons and Dante Fowler and Demarcus Lawrence, you're gonna take your lumps. But when it comes Sunday and you don't hear his name too often, and he's kind of steadied the the injury. I mean not the injury, the the penalty stuff that he did week one and he's kind of just been a steady Eddie I gotta give credit to Terrence Steele I think the Cowboys made a right decision and you know overall I think the front office a lot of things that we were skeptical or maybe questioned because that's part of our job and our role here is to kind of push the envelope and try to be right and kind of ask questions they've hit home runs and, and done some really good things whether it be luck or not and Terrence Steele is one of those guys where I think they made the right decision they didn't have to pay a little Collins Terrence Steele is still under control as a restricted free agent next year so they're going to get him again if they want him which and you know all indications they will and you feel good about the the prospects of him and Zach Martin on the right side I'm connecting the dots here as we're talking and like you kind of were alluding to iron sharpens iron and I think that it's it's funny to think about how you look at this pass rush of the Cowboys and how they're leading the league right now with 33 sacks when you go against Demarcus Lawrence Micah Parsons Dante Fowler even Terrell Basham who's supposedly coming back he had a really good training camp these guys are constantly applying pressure on this offensive line. Now they are third least in the league or top three in the league in allowing sacks with, I think, 11 or 12. So I think that that also is a very good parallel. And feel free to tweet that out. It's not, you know, just on me. If you want to tweet that out, take credit for it. <laughs> totally fine. It's a joint effort. Uh, but I look at that as that's what happens in training camp in the dog days of summer. You have these elite pass rushers going against the offensive line. And I think it's helped the development of someone like a Tyler Smith as well, too. A guy coming out of Tulsa, another smaller type school. Um, 
was struggling a little bit at guard, we were hearing. Uh, possibly wasn't going to be passing Connor McGovern at the left guard position. Now he steps in at left tackle, and it's not always been, always been pretty. You know, he's let up sacks uh, against Aaron Donald, but again, who isn't allowing sacks against Aaron Donald? And I feel right. like that that's also helped him in his development as well, too. Yeah, I think um, Tyler Smith has been one of the more pleasant surprises. I was extremely nervous when Tyron Smith got hurt. I didn't think they handled the tackle position correctly. And, um, you know, after week one and, you know, they didn't look good offensively and Dak Prescott got hurt, people you were rightfully like, man, what did we do? Is this going to be a problem? But I think that's just, uh, you know, his his work and his nature that he put in all this effort because, you know, Tyler Smith has been solid. I mean, like you said about Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald does that to everybody. You know, there, there's guys in this league where he's going to face and he's going to he's going to have challenges. But I think that they they believe in him. And I think he's earned some trust from uh, from the Cowboys, you know, faithful. And I think the Cowboys front office and this team feel really good about that pick. And, you know, if Tyron Smith comes back, like we mentioned earlier in December, they got a conversation to be had. I would love to kick him inside. And, and I'm all about the best five. And I think Tyler Smith is one of the best five. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. The last headline that I have. Of course, I couldn't leave myself out of this as a fellow writer. Uh, <laughs> September 6th, one of the first articles I wrote, uh, got a lot of flack for it because nobody really understood what it was, but that's okay. It's nor here nor there. It's up in, to interpretation, right? Uh, three sure. three reasons why the Cowboys go 11-6, and six, and the three reasons I kind of justified, and I wrote the article, so I'll leave this up to you. Uh, the first one is Brett Maher makes a difference in close games. I think we already touched on that a little bit. One that I might not have gotten right, but LVE and Anthony Barr return to a Pro Bowl level. I don't know if we've seen that yet, but and then the last one is Kellen Moore elevates his play calling to a Sean McVay type level. So talk about the last two. Start with the linebackers and then hit Kellen Moore of where they have kind of been in the first half of the season and where you think it could be. So I've actually, you know, I've not been too disappointed with the way Leighton Van Esch has played. I think he's he's played well. Um, my, you know, like my co-host Aiden, you mentioned earlier, he did analytics and ran some numbers about LVE being like a top ten linebacker at the end of last year, and I think he's played really well here. You know, in the first half of the season. So the body of work is, I think Leighton Van Esch is doing his job. He's playing tough. I'm a little. You know, disappointed, not disappointed, but a little frustrated with Anthony Barr. I think he looks like he's a step slower, dealing with some issues, whatever the case may be. I know he's injured. We'll see what that happens. So the linebacker stuff, I think I think you're kind of 50-50 on that. I think Leighton Van Dash is playing well. He's earning his kind of money in that situation. But the Kellen Moore stuff is, is very interesting because Kellen Moore – you know, there's weeks where people are like, this guy can't figure it out. And then there's weeks like last week where, he, you know, he's running hurry up with CeeDee Lamb at running back. They got a zero. They're doing an 3 type of style where it's, you know, they got, you know, three wide receivers, no running back or three tight ends or whatever. And they got no running back out there and they're just running it and, and just gunning it against the Bears. And it's like, wow, this is super creative. This is super interesting. They got CeeDee Lamb taking, you know, snaps and, you know, handoffs from the shotgun. And I say all that to say Kellen Moore is – I think he's got things in his bag and he's got calls that he's waiting to pull out. And I, you know, and I think we don't give him enough credit sometimes because we've seen the, the, the offenses throw it out. But ultimately it takes execution as well. Right. I mean, he can call it, he can draw it up. They can put it together. If the players aren't kind of putting it all together, it could be, um, it could be head scratching on Sunday, but I think there is both of the two that you had. I think you nailed the first one, but these two, I, I don't think you're too far off. And I think the, the, the rest is still unwritten with both of them. 
I will take the 50-50 on uh, Leighton Van Der Esch and <laughs> Anthony Barr. I, I agree. I think LVE had his best game um, on Sunday. He had the crucial for forced fumble on David Montgomery, which got Micah Parsons his first uh, NFL touchdown. Uh, I'll say first NFL touchdown because we don't know if he's going to be on the offensive side of the ball at some point this season. I think it might happen. <laughs> I think it might happen. Uh, but you mentioned Kellen Moore. I think when, when we were looking at post Tampa Bay game, right? I think that's where a lot of this started with the up and down season um, to start. We looked at how crazy plays were triple reverses and stuff like that. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like don't get too crazy with stuff. I, I put it to like kids on, on Halloween where they try and hit five houses in the span of five minutes. It's like, take, take your time, relax. This is like, we just started here. Don't go too crazy. <laughs> you have to, you have to take your time and, and map it out for, for three hours for the whole night to get a full bag of candy for Cal Moore. It's a 20 game season. If you include the Super Bowl, So, I think he's gotten I, I label it as creatively conservative or conservatively creative. I think that he's sort of tempered down the the sort of crazy side. I think Mike McCarthy has had a lot to do with that. Um, and like you mentioned, this past weekend, we saw this up tempo offense. That's something I think Dak Prescott is more comfortable operating. That's why we didn't see a lot of it with Cooper Rush. We did see it at times, but I feel like Dak is a master of changing and checking at the off at the at the line of scrimmage, you know, with 16 seconds left. That's something he does really well. Peyton Manning has talked about it, and Peyton Manning's the king of that stuff. So I think that you see that this development of Kellen Moore trusting his guys, leaning on someone like Tony Pollard to get 14 carries in the game and just completely gas the defense so I think that we've seen the maturity of Kellen Moore this season and you know last year was his first time coaching in the playoffs as an offensive coordinator I think that stuck with him this season to realize okay I need to change things up a little bit and I think that Kellen Moore has become a better play caller and I, I think that we haven't seen the best of him yet and I think he also remembers the downslide that the offense took last season in the second half of the year. I think that that kind of sticks with him a little bit. And this is a guy who's coaching for a head coaching job, possibly in the offseason. So I think he understands that a little bit more, too. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the Kellen Moore having, um, you know, a reason, right? There's a lot on the line for Kellen Moore. It's a lot on the line for this team. I mean, this guy going into last year, even into the Patriots game before Dak's injury, was a, a front runner for a lot of head coaching jobs, like you mentioned. You know, he's playing with pride. He's, you don't think he hears it. I mean, he understands what's being said. He's a smart guy. He understands, but I think ultimately he's a guy that's all about ball. He understands the nuances of the game. He's a student in the game, and and he's just one of those guys that. That, you know, he's going to put some things together with Dak Prescott. They have great communication. They're two guys that like really like and enjoy working together. Like you said, Dak Prescott at the at the line of scrimmage is the confidence, the the ability, the the, the tutelage, the understanding that what it takes as you know to kind of carve up defenses and and that takes film study. That takes conversations with your offensive coordinator. So I I absolutely do believe that. There is the best is yet to come. And, and you know, that's exciting as a Cowboys fan because there really are some things in this offense that we haven't quite got to see because of the Cooper Rush time. And now we're really like we're still really in the first month of what this offense can look like with a healthy Dak Prescott. Man, you brought out tutelage, an elite word for an elite player from an elite writer. <laughs> great great word. Uh, so, of course, we didn't talk about some players like Dorrance Armstrong or Malik Hooker, J. Ron Curse, these Jerry guys, if you will. But that's okay. That's what you got the rest of the slate of the podcast for the rest of the week for. You get double podcasts a day. You get Dallas Cowboys daily. We got you covered at Blogging the Boys, especially during the bye week with all the content that we crank out. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is just the rest of the season score prediction. You know, where do you see the Cowboys going? We don't have to get into playoffs or seating or anything like that. 
but just their overall record with play, like their matchups against teams like the Eagles, the Vikings, the Giants, but then also the rest of the season, how it shakes out. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of going through it now, and if I'm a little slow, it's because I'm making sure I got my stuff right here. You know, um, I could see them, you know, going down the list. I think they're going to win the Packers game because it's, you know, the Packers aren't who they thought they were. But it's not going to be an easy game. The Packers have always been a thorn on our side. I'm always going to respect Aaron Rodgers. You know, the Vikings game is going to be a challenge. They look like they're maybe one of the classes of the NFC. So that's a tough game. And then you look at the Giants, the Colts, the Texans, the Jaguars. I mean, I could realistically see them when they eight and two. They got what are they got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games left. I could honestly see them going seven, two out the stretch and, you know, and, and 13 and four, 12 and five is a realistic possibility for this football team. Definitely. I agree with you. I put them at seven and two. I look at the Vikings game and the Titans game, surprisingly for a lot of people. For me, those are the two better teams that run the ball well. Um, you know, of course, the Eagles and Giants, but the Giants, I feel like that they're going to regress a little bit. And the Eagles at home, I'll take the Cowboys in that matchup any day of the week. And I feel like that until they prove that they can stop these dominant runners, you know, which I don't think that the run defense has been absolutely terrible, but it needs improvement. But facing somebody like Derrick Henry at home when they can be fighting for playoffs position um i think that that might be a little tricky but yeah i do think that a 13 and 4 record isn't out of the possibility uh tony before we close it out where can people follow you on social media and then get all the great quality content that you put out absolutely i appreciate that uh you can follow me at tony underscore catalina on twitter and like you mentioned earlier we have the first and 10 podcast that uh comes out every morning at 9 a.m eastern so you know if once you're done listening to brandon and jess you can pop over and listen to our podcast they'll get you covered on everything as well awesome appreciate the love well guys thank you so much for tuning into the special edition bi-week episode of the writer's block podcast you can catch jess and i um next week and we'll be getting you ready for the Packers game a little bit, maybe talking about our top 10 rankings and how it's shaking out uh, to the midpoint of the season. But for Tony Catalina, I am Brandon Laurie. Talk to you guys next week. 